This is Kevin Evans with Crossroad Assembly of God Church in Greenville, and this is the chapter-by-chapter chapter life class. Uh, today we are venturing into John chapter 5 as we study uh, the Gospels uh, one chapter after another. Uh, John is the fourth gospel. It's the uh, last gospel that was written. Uh, most scholars believe that John was uh, an old man at the time that he wrote this gospel and that the other three synoptic gospels were in relatively wide uh, distribution among the Christian churches. So John was preaching from Matthew and he was referring to stories that Matthew had already thoroughly shared with his audience. And uh, John did not feel the need to retell the life of Jesus in any kind of chronological order. John was preaching. Uh, and most scholars believe, particularly when you look at the first two chapters, that he is recording well-practiced sermons that he has developed over the course of his ministry and he is trying to capture his message in scripture and so instead of any kind of a chronological historical view of Christ he's pointing out specific uh, uh, stories that illustrate specific points and um, he's largely offering uh, illustration stories that weren't told in the Synoptic Gospels because that's what his audience wants to hear. They've already read the other stuff, you know. So uh, there are, if you break down the book into an outline, there are these, uh, he's got seven signs, and each of those signs are a miracle that Christ performed at a different point that illustrates something, and six of those are unique to John's gospel. There are things that John was there for that the other guys weren't. Um, the only one that is recorded in Matthew and Mark is when he cleared the temple of the, uh, of the money changers and, and took the whip and, and, and cleared the temple uh, because John was using that story to illustrate his point. There are also uh, contrasts in John. You will have uh, one story in which Christ has a private meeting with a private person, just one-on-one, -on -one, and then in the next story it is a very public meeting with a lot of people. Uh, you see a very peaceful story, and then you see the story with, with violence where he clears out the temple. Uh, John uh, kind of latches on to these big changes, and it makes me think that that might have been a preaching technique, too. I think he would tell two stories in contrast to each other and, and lean into them, you know. And so it's just kind of become his style. Um, in the last chapter, chapter 4, we just saw, what was it, uh, the woman at the well. And we discussed that at length, which is a big deal. And uh, it illustrated a lot of, 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 of what Jesus' calling was and who he was being called to. And then he heals the official son, which kind of, who, who was uh, Herodian and not a good Jewish person. He, you know, it was showing that his message was not just to the Jews. It was to the Gentiles as well. And John is illustrating that that uh, uh, is illustrating that point in the last chapter. Now, we get to chapter 5, and uh, it kind of shifts gears. We were in Galilee before. <coughs> now we're in Jerusalem. 
And uh, he tells the story of uh, the uh, uh, Pool of Bethesda and uh, the story of a healing of a um, handicapped, palsied, invalid man. We really don't know what his, what his issue was. Uh, people usually assume that he's paraplegic because he can't get into the pool, but we really don't know why he can't get into the pool. It's, you know, you know so he, he had some kind of an issue. Uh, and so it's Passover, and uh, it's the second Passover in Jesus' ministry because we have references to a Passover before. And uh, he's come into Jerusalem for Passover at, at the temple. And uh, Passover, as we've discussed several times before, is a big deal. And uh, Jews were expected, if you did not live in Jerusalem, to attend Passover at the temple at least one time in your life. The uh, Mecca tradition with the Arabs kind of is a derivative of that tradition among the Jews. Uh, and so at Passover, you would have all of these foreign Jews who had uh, grown up and live in distant countries coming in for that one big pilgrimage to the, to the temple and to observe Passover there. And uh, so there would be tons of tourists, which the locals would take full advantage of in every sense of that word. It's still that way today. Uh, it, <laughs> salute. Uh, business is business. So uh, Christ is walking in from just up, you know, down the hill uh, from Galilee. I, I say that it's probably a day's journey by foot. Uh, but they've come in and there's, it's this big, busy place and he comes to this place that's called Bethesda. Uh, let me go ahead and read the section, and then I'll try to break it down as much as I could have break it down. Uh, sometime later, this is verse 1, chapter 5. Uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Arabic called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, says my NIV. Uh, here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when this water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else gets ahead of, gets ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. I know, it's Passover and all. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, but walk around, evidently. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, the law forbids that you carry your mat. But he replied, what my fault? Which is, I think, an interesting answer. The man who made me, who, who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He, he, he immediately starts pointing like a five-year-old. So they asked him, uh, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? They're not interested in him anymore. Suddenly they smell blood in the water. Oh, wait, we can get somebody bigger than you. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. 
Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or anything worse may ha something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Okay. Sheepgate. So we've got a walled city around Jerusalem, and you've got a big gate at the entrance, and then you have a side gate over to the east, I think it was, where they took out all their garbage. You know, it was a less pleasant place to walk through. If you were going to visit as a king, you want to come in the front door because it smells better. You know, that's kind of the idea. And then there were other gates that have other designations for similar reasons. It's all a hygiene issue. And there's a sheep gate because cattle are a big deal and they're bringing in sheep for sacrifice because the temple goes through a lot of sheep. So you need support structure for all of that. So there is a gate over on the temple side specifically for bringing in herds. And we can assume that there are pens for those sheep, there is water for those sheep, there are facilities for feeding those sheep. It's, it's, it's designed for keeping animals. And so that's the, the, the gate that Christ has come in, or at least is near. Uh, all these gates were open to pedestrian traffic, and if you're coming in from Galilee, I think the entrance points to the south and the Galilee is to the north. I think most people coming in from Galilee would rather not walk around the city. You're going to take one of the nastier gates and get in the, get, and get in the city, you know. Uh, so, so that's what that's all about. Uh, we also, and then we've got this pool. Now, probably there's a spring. It may be a cistern, uh, which is a, a place that catches rainwater and then kind of... Uh, 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 evaporates or is used out and then you wait for the next rain. Uh, cisterns tend to be a little more worky, murky and nasty than spring water is. Spring water is a little more clear. There is a spring there, modern day, so I'm going with spring. Uh, if you go uh, to modern day Jerusalem and go on a tour, they will show you this little bathtub sized place about the size of these four tables that they say is the pool of Bethesda. Maybe it's on the original location, but I don't think that's what it looked like. There have been three uh, churches that have been built on top of the Pool of Bethesda, starting with during the Middle Ages with the uh, uh, the, the Orthodox Greek. The, the, the I hate it when my brain seizes. So Rome divided into two different kingdoms and then the East, the Western Roman kingdom failed. The East Roman kingdom were called the Byzantines. Yes, there was a Byzantine Christian church that was built over the, uh, hi, come in, that were, that were built over uh, the pool. And then that fell down. And then there was, I think there was a Herodian church before that. And then that went away. And then there was, uh, I think there was, uh, a non-Christian church, and then they came back later and built another Christian church. So all of that building has kind of moved that footprint around. You know, uh, I am. I'm going to go with you know, Gospel of Kevin. This is this is 
speaking from silence, as Brother Yek likes to say, uh, I think this is, this is the sheep pool. This is where we watered the, the, the flocks that are coming in to the temple. Um, I've read some commentaries that said that this was where they cleaned the, 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 the sacrifices, but that is not true. That happened in temple, and the priest oversaw that. Uh, I've even seen some commentaries that said that the reason that it was magical is because they cleaned the sacrifices there, and somehow because the, the sacrifices going to the temple got cleaned in this pool, and that's what made the angels go, I don't know, you know. Uh, there have been lots of uh, interesting, uh, let's face it, heretical conjecture about what the, the Bethesda pool was all about. I think it's interesting that John reports that an angel stirred the water. Wait, does my translation say that? It says, I just about to look it up in the Greek. Yes, an angel stirred yeah, the water. It's on yeah, the but you've got that weird Bible. No, it's on, it's on, it's on the left. Is it? Okay. Yeah. okay. It says, for, when it, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, and whosoever was uh, first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole for every disease. Yeah. Yeah. Chirassian on the left. So, I, I, I don't know. Telling, like, the, the story? Like, yes. This is what people think. I don't know. John said it, said it, didn't he? I tend to, I want to, you know, we say that scripture is divinely inspired. I want to take it on face value. I think that's where we have to start. But on the other side of that, it really, really feels like all these Celtic myths that I've read where fairies live in the pool and you go to one pool to cure your, cure your arthritis and another pool to cure your leprosy. And, and then there were Catholic faiths. Uh, when the Catholics moved into uh, Britain, all of those pools suddenly became Catholic saints rather than fairies. And the same thing starts going on. It feels a little pagan, you know? Um, but that, that, this is what John said. So that, that, that's not, not pagan. Can I read this? Okay. It says... Bethesda was a spring-fed pool surrounded by five porches where Jesus healed the man that had been sick for 38 years. The only recorded re record indicating its location places it near the Sheep Gate, like you said, and apparently this carries the inference that it was in the northwest part of the city, for according to Josephus and various ancient authorities, Josephus, Josephus the principal sheep market in Jerusalem was located north of the temple area. That was oddly satisfying. Outside, <laughs> Herod, outside of Herod's Gate. Yep, yep. Also, the Medaba map, 5th century, located the pool in this section, which is known as Bethesda. Bethesda. Yeah, but they spelled it different. B what? B-E-Z-E-T-H-A. Beth means house of. Yeah. And so all these, these, there's all these Hebrew names that come from old Arabic that's, that's got Beth in there. And so it means house of blessing is what they're, they're referring it to. It says, so, it says in 1888 repairs were being made on St. Anne's Church in this northwest section of Jerusalem when what seemed to be a large reservoir was located, I guess underneath the church. Yeah, but they're 2,000 years off and they could still be wrong. Springs move. You know, I, I don't know. 
Hi, sir. You're arguing just to argue. Yeah, I am. I'm sorry. It comes so naturally. <laughs> oh, I'm his wife. I think that's why I'm here, is to, to argue for the sake of arguing. <laughs> if you weren't arguing, I, I discovered I argue with myself. I just throw something out there and attack it. I can't help it. I'm, I'm trained for this. Yeah. It's because it's, it's nominative, feminine, singular. That's that's the odd thought. What? Yeah. yeah. Please it's, explain. Oh, and, and hand her the microphone. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> so it, it comes from Bethesda, but because of the because of the conjugation of the well, it's not really conjugation, but because of the noun form, because it's nominative, feminine, singular, it then changes to Bethzatha. But it's still, it's Bethesda. That's... Place of blessing. Yes. Okay. It, it's, the, the reason it says it that way is because that's the way, like, that's the... No matter how you choose to pronounce it. Okay, so I guess she's vindicated. But it's from, but it's from oh, Beth right the word Bethesda. Yes. Okay. So there's a basic okay. English translation of... Because I've never tried to vindicate you. No. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not my goal of life. There was a bus down here. Thank you. Okay, so this this ain't, uh, all right. Chasing this down, uh, I found two commentaries that suggested that this pool, that this this activity of this angel was only happening during Christ's lifetime, and only during feast days. And I guess during all the other days, it's just a place where sheep drink, you know, but. It's such a big deal that we have piers that are built around this for access to it. And I, and I think if it was a watering hole, they wouldn't go to a lot of trouble <laughs> to build access piers. And we've got five of them, you know. So this is, I think this is a tourist attraction, you know, during the feast days. And, I, and, and that's Gospel of Kevin. I, again, I don't know. And do we really know that it only happened during Jesus' time? We do not. And, and, and uh, the references were according to ancient writings. And I started trying to find the ancient writings. And what the ancient writings are, are, are speculators from a thousand years ago trying to figure, you know, making a wild guess as to, well, they didn't have any source material on their part. So, you know, I, we don't know. So it's basically a bubbling spring. I think we have to take it at face value. An angel troubled the waters, and when you, the, the waters were troubled, the first person in, regardless of who that was or what they believed or who they were, got healed. Now, why in the world would it only have happened during the days of Jesus? I mean, when Jesus was alive. Well, that, well see, that gives it a little more context, if that's true. But I don't know. I don't have, a, I don't have an explanation for that. Here, here's my best shot, because all I've been doing is studying type the last week, is that uh, this is a picture of salvation. Um, God is there. The waters are troubled. But he's not just going to cure everybody that's around the pool. You have to get in the pool. It requires effort. It requires focus. It, does, it, it doesn't reward hesitation. You know, so you have to accept that supernatural gift in order to be saved. 
And I think it, I, you can make the argument that it's a type for salvation. It's a type of Christ's gospel. And that's the best I can do with it's it. Like the man that was told, it's like the man that was told to go dip in the dirty river seven times. Yes. And, yeah. and he thought he was too good for that. He said, well, I kind of go to the clean one. And he, he could only, it could only happen by going to the dirty one. And that's his pride is getting in the way yeah. of his faith. Yes. And he finally, finally did what he was told to do, and he got healed. Also, he said. Well, yeah. Um, Christ didn't condemn the man waiting to get in the pool. You know, um, he didn't. You know, he didn't condemn people waiting to get in the pool. He just healed the man. You know. He only one guy. Too. Yeah. Well, it yeah, wasn't him. everybody around the pool. Yes. The point was not the healing. Or you know. I mean, if I were Jesus, I'd go to the hospital, stand outside in the parking lot, and go, and, and then we'd be done. Well, you know, <laughs> the point is not. <laughs> Seriously, let's get the job done. Uh, but obviously, I'm not Jesus. Uh, there's a purpose to it, you know. There, there's a purpose to our human, you know, mortality, to our suffering. There's, you know, it, God, God's not in to, to save us from death. It's to get the most from life, you know. Is, the, is this one of the ones that's the that's only in John? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, John John picks very specific he does, miracles right? to show, really just much to show the different the different powers that Jesus has yes. over illness, over death, over you know, like the, it, and so he's very specific, and so. He doesn't tell all of the people healed or all the stories of things that Jesus does. Oh, he just you're picks. implying there's things left out. Right, he just, mm. he just picks very specific ones to talk about. That's why we have four Gospels, because, you know, through... You can't tell all the stories or the book would be, like, ginormous. It's kind of like he's telling... He, he tells the most dramatic healings of the ones that, you know, like raising the dead and everything like that. It's like he wants to see the point of how much power Jesus had to be able to raise the dead, to be able to heal the lame and do do all of this. It's kind of like... Yeah. It's not clear that he meant to heal anyone else. No. Like, maybe he just wanted to tell us about the... the there's something about because this, this one's important. There's something about this particular one that that progresses, you know, that like moves forward the story that John is telling well, about Jesus. Let's unpack that. At verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So I don't know what invalid means. We assume that it has something to do with his legs because he can't get into the pool. Uh, but he is a cripple, and he is begging, I assume, uh, which would be the natural thing for him to, to sport himself with. And he's been at this for <coughs> mo mo longer than most people during Christ's time have been alive. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, so somebody told Christ that he's been there for 38 years, Christ asked him this question, which seems like should be a foregone conclusion. Do you want to get well? What a question is that? What? It's Christ's compassion. Could it be that the answer might be no? He's been here a long time. He has. And he had his beggar's permits. 
He's got his beggar's permit. He's got his little beggar shawl, which we've studied before. He is a, a, a licensed city beggar. He has a job, and begging is it. Um, he had, his, his whole, he's 38 years old. Most, the, I have to say the majority of his life, he's been crippled. It may have been an accident when he was young, but he defines himself by this infirmity, whatever it is. Do we want to change who we are? Do we want to, you know, I, I, think, I think you can make the argument that people want to stay who they are even if that is with a, a, a crippling disability. Well, what would his job be? Isn't that training to be in the Right. You've got all these questions once you get healed. You know, you've got to embrace a new life. It's yeah. a little scary. Didn't he go down there to get healed? Or he was there to be begged. Or to beg. I think he went there to get healed, yes. I agree. Particularly if I go with my earlier argument that it only happened every once in a while. Yeah, I like, I like the fact that you attack that. Because then you then you see that it's an individual thing for yes. each and every one of them. Like, I like how real he is and how he asks the man that. You know, because only you know inside of you and you know, mm -hmm. like, do you want to do anything? Because most of the time, most people will try to push you into doing something that you don't want to do. Yes. Because you're not ready to do it. But when he asks that, it's so personal. Yes. It is, it's asking you as an individual, do you want to be healed? Do you want me to heal you? Do you want me to fix you? Or, or do you want me to, or you just want to keep doing what you're doing your way? I love it. It's kind of like saying, do you want to, do you want to be saved? It's a similar, it's kind of a similar deal. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be saved? Have to get in the water. Wouldn't you be boring after 38 years, though? I mean, think about it. 38 years, it's only a certain season, it's only the first person in, and after 38 years of persistence, you still haven't been the first one in, you still haven't been the one healing. Don't you think this man maybe had some despair and Jesus was seeing him? I think he's beyond despair. I think he's jaded. I think he is institutionalized to his life. Yeah. He's, he, he's quit. He's going through the motions that he's been going through for years. And notice that when Christ says, do you want to get well? Look how he takes it. <laughs> I've got to tell you a story in a minute. Oh, is that you? Oh, okay. Okay. I went home to visit my mother last week, and she she comes out as I chase a rabbit. I apologize, internet. And so I come to the door. I haven't seen her for months, and I open the door, and she's she's a very sweet, very sharp old lady, my mother. And the first thing she says to me is, "Are you ready for the rapture?" And I thought, "Oh my goodness!" And. And, and being myself, I said, I think so, but I have a really big weekend planned, which, which I thought was hilarious, and she was deeply offended. Anyway, she has been listening to uh, an online uh, videographer talking about prophecy and end times, and she's kind of, I hope mom isn't listening, went down this little YouTube rabbit hole, you know, and, and that's all she does is listen to these guys. And one of them came out with this YouTube video that she is convinced is the big guy that she's listening to. 
that said that the rapture was going to take place sometime between midnight on November the uh, 11th, which was the day that I was there, uh, and, it, uh, and, and November the 18th, which was yesterday. And so, and she was, okay, a freeze was coming, and she was not going to bring in the plants because the rapture was coming, and it didn't matter. She was not buying groceries. It was, she was, she was relaxed and eating chocolate and not on the diet because the rapture was coming. And, uh, and, and I couldn't have a conversation with her that did not have the fact, you know, you know Jesus is going to be here in three days, right? That, that was the whole visit. And so here we are. We're past the uh, open window for Christ to come, and uh, I haven't called my mom to you know console her yet. But uh, <laughs> you called and said, "Are you still here?" Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that scared me. See, when I heard that, I thought, "Oh my goodness, mom was right." You know, offline a couple of days, but you know. Oh, you can tell the difference? No, oh, okay. you can tell the difference. I think he's going to come back with some, like, hip-hop or something. <laughs> <laughs> Very culturally relevant. Oh, he's going to yeah. drop, you know, Toby Mac. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord. I just apologize for the class. Okay, where was I before I ended up babbling? Uh, Despairing. He's hopeless. He's, why did Jesus ask him? Some of these miracles are pointed out because... They were specific for that time because, you know, there, there was a scripture in the Bible where it says he, he, he's ill so that Jesus can do this work at this time. <sighs> yes, because Christ said that at one point. Yeah. But I think I don't I don't I disagree with a dispensational approach to gospel. I think that what is true then is true now and was true in Adam's day. You know, uh, I, I don't think, God doesn't change. Already and not yet. I, his, his ability to relate to us is kind of what has changed. But really, that doesn't change either. But that's, that's an hour-long lecture to support that. So, uh, yes, I think maybe these things happen just so that Christ could illustrate it. I also think it just happened. It's kind of like, could it be both? Kind of like the big mirror. But can't there be more than one fulfillment of what he said? I mean, pr yeah. prophetic words always have a like right then fulfillment and then multiple fulfillments and then there's the ultimate. You're fun. Who are you again? I'm Sarah. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I'm it's sorry. We finished. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's the already and not yet of the kingdom of God. There's this. The, it's the the kingdom of God has come. Yes, but has it come in its fullness? No, not yet. So it's like. The prophetic words have uh, have a fulfillment immediately, and then there's multiple fulfillments throughout history. But then there's the ultimate fulfillment of those prophetic words. There have been multiple savior figures throughout history, right? But there's only one Messiah, which brings into the whole type thing again, and all of those other. Prophets and saviors are pictures of Christ. They're, they're all, it's like yeah. John preparing the, it's the voice in the yes. wilderness, preparing yes. the way. They're all preparing the way. So that it's a sign to quote Mr. Khan. Anyway. The hero journey. Referring back to another story. 
What? The hero's journey. That too, which is a, okay, that's two hours of lecture that I would have to do to explain yeah. that comment. But yes, you're absolutely right. I agree with that. It's kind of like um, with the issue of blood. They, you know how they, they pointed that out. It was, a, it was almost as huge a miracle as the man here at the pool, laying by the pool that he healed. But as she took that on her own faith just to touch the hem of his garment, but they still pointed out what a big miracle that was. Well, he pointed out that it was a matter of faith, and I don't think that's what's happening here. No. Uh, because he says, do you want to get well? Now, I want you to notice how the uh, man responds. He doesn't say, I want to get well. He takes it as an accusation. He takes it, why aren't you well? How come you've been here 38 years? You're sitting by your healing and it's not happening. What, what are, what's going on here? He, he immediately comes back with, it's not my fault. And he gives excuses. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else gets in ahead of me. It, I, I think he's practiced saying that for 38 years. You know, the, um, this word, the one that gets translated, I don't know what your translation says. Mine says, desire you, do you desire to? But it can also be translated, are you willing to be? Are you willing to be healed? Because even though he's there, there's still that, that, that issue of willingness. And, and God is such a gentleman, therefore Jesus is as well to the point where he's not going to force anything on us. So it has, like, are you willing? Are you willing to be healed? Are you willing to become whole? And I don't think he's just asking him about his body. It says that he said to get up, take up your mat, and walk. And I guess, again, the Ben Young translation, there's a, the first thing he needs to do is get up. And he, he doesn't repent. He doesn't say he believes. He doesn't know who Jesus is. This isn't a salvation experience. But I think he, I feel like he must have made the first step. Jesus said, way. get up. And then he says, pick up your mat. And he says, and then he did pick up the mat. Yeah. So I think first he got up somehow. And then he was healed. And then he said, pick up your mat. So my question, just for the sake of, of discussing this, is why did they tell him to pick up his mat? Why was it such a big deal? See, here's the other thing. That word that's translated arise or get up actually more frequently means wake up. Huh. It's, it's the word um, igero, um, which means to awaken, to be roused from sleeping. So, like, that's why I go to the Greek, because a lot of times our translations don't take into account. <gasps> I'm just saying they don't take into account some of the Blasphemy. some of the other undergirding yeah. meanings that the, the Greek people would have understood because they would have heard, yeah, get up, or they would have heard arise, but they would have also heard wake up. Yeah, it depends on the context of the word. But right? if you go on, it says that in the Sabbath the law forbids you to carry your mat. So right. I think the reason true. he, yeah, I think I think he told him to pick up his mat so that we can get to the next two paragraphs. You know, sometimes things happen for a reason. There's a bigger deal here. Okay. The question that's not being answered. Okay, I'm thinking that this man couldn't even use his arms because if if so, he could crawl using his arms to the pool. So he was, he was weak. He was infirm. Right. Which, which means weak. Which doesn't just mean legs. 
Right, but here. So he couldn't have even crawled necessarily. But somebody had to carry him and lay him by that pool. So why didn't that somebody that brought him and laid him by that pool put him in the water? And that's my he question. He didn't have anybody. He had been abandoned. Yeah, but somebody had to carry him to that pool. How do you know he wasn't just always there? Because he would have starved to death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead, Kevin. I like you. You need to come back. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's a good point. It was just, it's just, you know, my thought is just, if he, if this only happens one, you know, during a certain season, then it would seem to me he's not going to be there all the other seasons when it's not happening. Ah, so, that's an assumption. That's an assumption. So, but, uh. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It's not in the text. We need a time machine. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Even though he mentioned before you came, you know, it was during a certain season that the water was usually yeah, But that doesn't mean that, but that doesn't mean that Maybe. it's a gathering place. Maybe. What Jim just referred to is that there, there are two commentators that keep referring to old documents. Uh, is in, okay, you already remember that. Never mind. Well, I was going to look it up to see what the old I documents were. Couldn't find them, and when I did, I found uh, commentators from a thousand years ago also working off of no source information. So basically, there, it's, it's commentators it's like quoting commentators. Like the game of telephone. It's a lot of speculation. And, and so, really, there's nothing to support that. It, it's a possibility. You know, but I, I, I don't know. I think we have to take John at face value and not know the backstory, you know. So that, that, that happens occasionally. Have to have a little faith. Okay, where was I? He, he picks up his mat and he walks. And he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And the Jews, John likes to refer to the uh, church hierarchy as the Jews. Like the people aren't the Jews. It's, it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are the Jews. Uh, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you from carrying your mat. So he's about to get basically arrested for breaking the law. You're leaving me? <sighs> okay. Oh, thanks. That'd be awesome. And uh, the, the um, and, and so they're they're arresting him. And and the first thing he says is, uh, he told me to do it. You know, now they've been after Christ. This is year two, and uh, the the priests are actually sending people in the Galilee to basically audit his uh, preaching to try to catch him in something. And through the Synoptic Gospels, we've got all these references of Pharisees trying to trick him in something. And so Matthew really enjoys capturing all of that. And uh, so here they think, oh, wait, somebody told you to pick up your mat? Suddenly they're not interested in him anymore. He's chump change. We want the guy that's causing trouble. And so they're hopeful that it's somebody that they're after, and so they go after Christ. But this guy never said thank you. He, he just grabbed the mat and went, 
and Christ and his crew disappeared into the crowd. So he didn't even know who, who did it. This, like I said, this is not a convert. This is just kind of a healing to make a point, I think. Christ is, uh, it, it makes me wonder if John standing behind him isn't the point of this. You know, I mean, he's teaching John. Does that make sense? And so, okay, so they, the, the uh, Pharisees come for Christ, and we get to 16. Can we go back to verse 14? We can. It says that later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, So you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And I just, I may have missed you even mentioning this, but the point was he, he, he was offered healing, but he had neglected to ask for salvation. That's true. And it also, you know, he is sinning. I mean, based upon this sentence, we can infer that, that he's a sinful man, not that we all aren't. But, uh, you, know, it, you know, Christ sees him in the temple later. So they were outside the temple, and he runs into him, and Christ speaks to him. And at that point, he knows who he is, and he goes and finds a priest and fingers Christ. You know, and so that's the guy that healed me. And now the Jews, the Pharisees, know who told him to carry around his mat on the Sabbath and break the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And so they come after Christ. And that's what happens in verse 16. And naturally I'm out of time. Yeah, it is actually. Okay, so uh, we're going to stop at the end of verse 15, and we will pick it up at verse 16 next time. And I think the takeaway here is that we have to step into the water. Yeah. Christ is not going to... We have to come to Christ. There's two sides to this. Okay. I'm going to get myself into trouble. There's a, another writer. I, I've, been, I've been reading heretical writers here lately uh, named Rob Bell, who several years ago wrote a book called uh, Love Wins. And uh, I was a big fan because he's one of the best speakers I've ever seen in the Christian circles. I, I was buying his DVDs. I was using them for supplements and classes. They were awesome. And he wrote Love Wins, which basically he said that God is a loving God. And since God is a loving God, he could not possibly condemn anyone to a hell because that's just cruel. So... God is going to let everyone into heaven, period, regardless of whether or not they've even heard of him. We're all going to heaven. Hallelujah. That was the ultimate conclusion of Love Wins. It's absolutely heretical. There are theological terms for what he's selling. I forget what they're called. But uh, he really took a hard left on, on the whole theological spectrum, and I've kind of lost interest in him. But the thing is, man has to come to God. God isn't just going to force you into heaven against your will. I think if man comes into God, into heaven with sin, it stops being heaven. 
right? We have we have to be repent. We have to be redeemed of the, of that sin. First, we have to repent, and then we have to place that sin under God's grace and under God's uh, 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 sacrifice. And, and we have to the, 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 a price has to be paid. And once that redemption is paid, then that sin is gone, and then we can enter heaven. That's how that works. Uh, this is a picture of that. This, this, uh, the, the pool of Bethesda. You've got an offer, and it only comes every once in a while. I'm not sure how to translate that metaphor, and I'm not going to. But uh, when the water is stirred, then uh, you need to get in quickly, and you need to embrace it. And it, there, there has to be an action on your part in order to receive that blessing. repent. They, yeah. refuse, they refuse to do it while the water is stirred. While the spirit and is moving through the church. Are, yeah. This, you may not have this opportunity again. None of us know if that water is ever going to be stirred again. So, you know, my prayer is that I won't ever um, deny that get away from it but so often I'll be the first one to admit it I'm so often I do you just stand there you don't want to you know, I'm not 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 tonight not tonight so I, you know what I'm saying I remember being in this service and God was speaking in my heart to speak to a, a, a young lady that was in the church and finally you know it was it was such a strong come over me that it was almost like a fear if I didn't say something so I went up there and I and I told her, you know, what God had told me to tell, tell her, and she already knew it, because it, if it's true, then they already know what God's told you to tell them. And so she confirmed it, and it was basically that she needed to, you know, get saved that night. And, uh, and then she said kind of what she said. She said, no, I don't, I don't want it, to, not tonight. But, you know, I mean, I did my part, but, you know, that's such a, a feeling that comes over you when they say no. And you know that God told you to say that to them, and it could be like Judy said, it could be that when they walk out that door, it could be the last time they were, this could have been their last chance. Between them and God, brother. Yeah, I, I know, but it's just, yeah. it is an overwhelming feeling, you know, and, uh, and you're always scared to, you know, it, it kind of, I'm always kind of scared to, 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 to I want to make sure it is God because I've seen people get up there and say that they're saying something of God and the person that they're saying it to doesn't even know what they're talking about. And my belief has always been if, if, I, if God tells me to tell you something, he's already spoken to you. All, all I'm going to do is confirm what he's already spoken. That's how I've always believed it. Because I've seen damage done from people that say God said to tell this person that, and I've actually seen it yes, draw people true. away from Blow God. Yeah. Blow up as he okay, and with that, we are going to wrap it up. I'm signing off, and uh, we will pick it up in verse 16 next time. Mm -hmm.